Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, all the wiser listeners. We are back with a new episode of A Little Wiser with my dear friend and co-host, Christy Peterson. Hi, Christy. Hey, Kimmy. And we are talking Yusuf Dahl, and there is lots to discuss. So, uh, Christy, I'm going to hand it over to you to kick off this conversation. Okay, great. Um, so last week we heard Kimmy, you interviewed Yusuf Dahl about his journey from poverty to prison to a very successful career in real estate and eventually a graduate degree from Princeton. Just as a side note, the alliteration game for this interview <laughs> was really on point. Poverty, um, Princeton, mm-hmm. prison, uh, yes, prison, lots of yes. peace, lots there of peace. There was lots of peace, but it's really impactful, as is his story. So he really shares this compelling story of what I would call radical change and raised for me some real thought-provoking questions about community, place, and the right to affordable housing. So before we dive into those uh, meteor topics, Kimmy, tell me about the interview. How did you learn about Yusuf? You know, that's such a good question. And I, you know Tara well. Tara's Mm -hmm. the um, associate producer on the show and we do most of the story development together. That means just finding stories and developing. And I think we came across Yusuf's TED Talk. Um, and then, as always, I start going down a rabbit hole and listening <laughs> to mm-hmm. people interviewed on podcasts. So I think it was just like the freaking internet research. Yeah. Um, <laughs> How about that? Appear. How about that? Yeah. yeah. Lots of ways to find people and their stories in the world. Um so I think it just it just started there, and then he's obviously has a really compelling story and is a really bright, charismatic guy who's good at telling it. So it made a lot of sense to to have him on the show. I loved the connection to Wisconsin. I will say, as a as someone who has spent several years, four years in Wisconsin, and uh, Greg grew up in Milwaukee, um, it was really. Um, I liked hearing as he was talking about place and his story that it, it took place in a spot that I know well and love. Yes. And Christy's is, husband is from Wisconsin, yes. Wisconsin through and through. I yes. mean, he is like a Midwestern man. He sure is. He is a yes. cheesehead, 100%. <laughs> so you found him through good old-fashioned Google sleuthing, um, and it was such a great story. I liked it both for... The personal journey that he shares, because it's always just fascinating to hear from your guests and the various um, challenges that they overcome, but also the real thought-provoking questions that he is grappling with and raised as a listener. Well, I have a funny behind-the-scenes story. Oh, good. Because you asked about the interview. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So every... I say everyone, like two people, have been pushing me to 
record video, which I yes. get, right? You can publish it on YouTube, you double your content, people are visual, they want to see it all the actually it's actually something I want to work towards. But it's complicated in the sense that we're focused on this really high quality audio, which is like windows shut, everything padded, dark, and then all of a sudden you add in visual and you need to be softly lit from the front. You know, it's a whole mm. nother level of production. Mm-hmm. So it, for this interview, ever they're like, just try doing it in video. Mm. And so I bought this like full on kit on Amazon and... The long story short is that yes. the only place I can record at home we just moved is in a room that has absolutely no natural light. So I'm mm. recording essentially in the dark, which is not good for video. <laughs> so I bought this Amazon lighting kit, which first of all came in like 7,000 pieces. Mm. I forced mm-hmm. my kids to set it up. The lighting was horrible. <laughs> and this was going to be like my first shot at like, hey, we're going to do this on video and then we're going to publish it. It was so poorly lit. And then Yusuf, like you could only see on his end, he had, you only saw like the top of his head, like mm-hmm. you couldn't even see his <laughs> lips moving. I looked like I was in a black cave. Like mm-hmm. the only thing it was lighting was like the shiny section of my forehead, which is really oily. <laughs> And I'm like, this is a freaking disaster. <laughs> and normally I'm very, I have notes, like very, very detailed notes mm-hmm. and sort of an arc of the conversation. So this whole interview was like a test and just awkwardly lit videos to people talking. So I, I don't know if people experienced it differently, but it was like actually different how, than how we do most interviews. Hmm. I'm thinking if I experienced it differently listening to it. No, I would not have guessed that you were having a conversation with him in a sensory deprivation chamber (laughs) (laughs) or or that you could only see his lips or maybe it was his forehead. Um, But my forehead, his, no, got it. Yes. Both (laughs) of our foreheads actually were very pronounced. So no, I did not appreciate that, but that's a funny, um, a funny story. So needless to say that this is not, this did not launch your, this second this part. Did not, this no, did not a, launch okay. my YouTube fame. No, okay. that's down the road. Okay. Okay. It's a learning curve, an arc really. Yeah. So in listening to his story, what really, there were many meaningful moments for me, um, but one of them was really uh, this idea around radical change and how he responded to challenge and adversity. And so I was just wondering what came up for you or what comes up for you when we think about this concept of radical change? Many people, um, and I will put it in context a little bit more, you know, there are a number of people who do go to prison and don't have the outcome that he did. So it's an interesting, um, I think, question or thought experience to think, what is it about him maybe in particular or more broadly, what is it that allows people to change radically their life circumstances? It's such a freaking good question. And I am, I wish I knew the answer, right? Because Mm -hmm. sometimes it's um, like whether it's, change you want to see or create in your own life or it's um, change that you hope for somebody else, right? This idea of radical transformation, of seeing something um, that is not working and is causing pain and suffering and knowing that there is a alternative way of being. But Mm -hmm. like that whole process of how you get there in a radical way is, I mean, 
I guess it's a mystery and it's not. And you would know more than I would about the pieces of it that are not a mystery that <laughs> are, you know, science and data driven. Um, but it's certainly the the truth of the possibility of that. The testaments on this podcast are just endless mm-hmm. um, of people who tran- lit- truly transform themselves, whether um, they went in willingly choosing that action or life chose it for them. I think it's super interesting. It is. Because you know, it's also yeah. like I, I think a lot about incremental change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, but but radical change is different. What, what did it bring up for you? So I've, I've really long been interested in this question of why, um, why are some people able to really navigate around incredible stressors and adversity with more ease and others not? And it really was, and I, and this has come up for me as in my work as a public defender, specifically working with parents, um, over the years who are in the juvenile dependency system. Explain what that means just for people who don't who know, because this is important. So we have our state agencies that are charged with the health and and protection of children. And if parents are, for a variety of reasons, not able to provide a safe home, um, then the state gets involved. And when the state gets involved, parents are afforded trial counsel or appellate counsel to represent their interest because our right to raise our children is considered a quasi-constitutional right. So my involvement is I work very closely with parents. I've represented parents for more than 15 years in juvenile dependency proceedings. So whenever there has been an issue that has come up around um, the care and custody of their children. In this capacity, I have represented parents, fathers, mothers, grandparents, de facto parents, and I've also represented juvenile um, foster kids who are in the older, like say 16, 17, 18. And one of the... to come back to this question about radical change. One of the things that I've really am so curious about and was really a driving force behind why it is that I went back to get my master's in psychology was this observation, or I noticed that some parents, some children were really able to work through very adverse and difficult situations um, and come out on the other side more resilient, uh, more connected, and less of those negative outcomes. And so I would just was really curious about what is it about a given person, a parent, a child, that allows them to navigate these very incredibly difficult circumstances um, with more success, with more well-being, with more health. And these are people, I mean, if you are in the... Child Protective Services are involved, the state's involved in the parenting and and family home. These are families in real, real crisis. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's fascinating. So you saw, you could clearly see there was people who had the ability to endure and persevere. And it sounds like almost even come out maybe thriving is, is 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 too big of a word versus people um who who it sort of caved in on them is that yeah, right i think that's um well said i could usually in reading various social workers reports um transcripts from hearings have a good sense about the various people involved and i you know i could just sense and this is you you just could kind of know which of the families were going to actually be able to 
come out of these very difficult and challenging circumstances, presumably stronger and certainly allowing to provide for a safe and healthy home for their kids. So I have what some ideas. This? I have some. Yeah. yeah. What was, I'm so curious. What was it you noticed? Did you connect any dots or? Um, well, so this was the question I just, so really the, the thing that was a big motivating force for me to, again, get my master's was this question around resilience. And it was because so often I felt like there were, there were some resources available, certainly that helped. There were some qualities. A person might have a certain amount of traits naturally that allowed them to access resources with more ease or to, they had a more optimistic, you know, mindset going into things. They were more hopeful. Um, so I could, there was like various qualities that I would notice, but I wanted to know from like a research-based perspective, because my idea was if we could identify, and this isn't my idea alone, if we can identify what those resources are, both internal and external, we could hopefully augment the services we're providing to these families with strategies to build more optimism, to build more resilience so that the outcomes aren't so poor for these kids. Particularly, I feel very passionate about kids who've been in the foster care system. It's called, you know, transition aged youth. These are kids who've been in long-term foster care. So if you could, in addition to their various support services they get from the agency, provide a curriculum? Is there, can we teach them various strategies? Is it mindfulness? Is it gratitude? Is it um, learning how to connect out and access resources? What are the things that we could help um, to support, offer greater support so that the outcomes were better for this group? Very vulnerable group. You know, talk, talk about bringing it home. I mean, had you lived... <laughs> You know, had the had the timing lined up, Yusuf Dahl's home would have probably been um, a case the the types yes. of case right yes. where where yes. the state would have intervened and yes. said, you know, it sounds like there wasn't food. She was missing for days. The brother, um, you know, is involved in a life of crime. So it's so that your work is so applicable to this conversation and the fact that you were so innately curious and inspired by. People like Yusuf, yes, who, who exactly. were given just these freaking horrible circumstances, just dealt like a shitty, shitty hand and somehow come out the other side building a really, you know, vibrant, meaningful, healthy life. Well, I have, a, I have another question. Okay. Based on your, based on your experience, what do you think, because you, you lived this for, mm -hmm. you know, a decade and a half in the real world with real people. What in understanding Yusuf's story do you think, what do you attribute to his radical, positive personal transformation? So my initial thought is it's hard to, for me, having listened to his story to pick out what I think it is. Um, I can say more broadly that the thing that I saw, I see consistently is if a person who is a child, a teen, a young person who is in those circumstances have one person in their corner, it makes a tremendous difference. One consistent presence who is checking in, who um, sees them. It doesn't, and here's the important point too, is, um, is that it's not necessarily a matter of quantity, but it's quality and consistency. So although his mother 
one thing I know I noticed in the interview is that he was able to speak about his mom with great love and that she was quite impactful in his life. He's, I think you even wrote in the, um, the description that he knew he was loved by his mom and because he was loved, he knew he was worth something. And she also had, you know, very real problems with sounded like with chemical dependency. And, um, he certainly did not grow up in a very stable home, but, I would say one one observation or thought is that he did have a parent who was present and he felt very much loved by her. So if we were to extrapolate that, like that story onto, I make greater generalizations when I look at my clients, oftentimes it's connection, it's people, it's relationships. And specifically, if a parent or I want to, I'm thinking more about the kids, um, have one consistent presence in their life, the outcomes tend to be much more favorable. You're right. He does. He, he, he paints such a clear and loving portrait of his mother while being very, very real and honest about, you know, her struggles and yeah. that she wasn't present there, you know, often wasn't food. She was, you know, at the bar drinking all day, but he knew that she, that she loved him and and that he felt deeply loved and, and how much that mattered. Was there anything else in particular to Yusuf that you can say, my guess is that, so the love of his mother, knowing he was loved? Mm-hmm. I think he has a uniquely optimistic mindset as well. So he, several times, you're looking at, um, I think he even had, there was a quote towards the end of the interview. I don't have it in front of me, but um, sort of how do we choose to respond to adversity? Are we hopeful? Do we see opportunity? Do we see, can we get curious? He seemed to have a naturally hopeful um, way of responding to really difficult, challenging circumstances. And so I think that is incredibly protective as well. And when I say that, I mean, that's just what I noticed in his language. Perhaps he worked, you know, hard to develop that more hopeful or optimistic mindset, but it seems like he was, he was a kid that was born with maybe a more naturally hopeful way of looking at the world. I also think that there was a great agency, this belief that I can actually make a difference in my life. So I think that's also really important. So he also had what I heard, which I think two things are required of any sort of transformation, certainly if we're talking about really radical transformation, but he embodied patience and hard work. Mm-hmm. Like he literally said the second time he got out of prison, I understood that because he went in a drug dealer just rolling in the dough, making tons of money, right? And he knew that that was not his his future path. And then he said, I knew it would be two or three years of going back <clears throat> to poverty post-incarceration, but I was, I was willing to wait for a, a better long-term vision. Like he was so conscious of that mm-hmm. and the daily hard work and the patience of, I don't want to be riding the bus and stopping to, you know, buy my winter sweater at Goodwill, but I have a, I have a bigger vision and these are small incremental steps. So like the combination of the patience, the vision and the hard daily hard work is, is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which is why I also just to sort of then bring up what I thought was such a thoughtful and interesting 
um, issue that he raised later that when he then went to go rent his home for his daughter and he was not able to do so, it was a moment he articulated it so well that you can put your, you can work very hard. You can be patient. You can do all the things to get ahead. And yet there are systemic problems or systemic yes. roadblocks that, you know, this idea of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, he really, uh, I thought articulated that push pull of, you need to show up, be thoughtful, work hard, and there exists roadblocks, systemic problems in our system that um, all the hard work, you know, those steps, you still may not be able to um, navigate around. It's hard work. It is hard work to address some of these problems, poverty, chemical dependency, all of these things. It's very hard work to be able to address them. Um, so that's a long road in itself. But I will say, despite the fact that there are, there are many people who are showing up and wanting for these you know, kids and these parents to be successful, to reunify the family, it's especially exciting when you do um, come across or work with a parent or a kid who does, against all odds, succeed. Okay, you had a feel-good story of a parent's and a family reuniting and you called and played me the voicemail. And I think like you were listening to the voicemail, you were tearing up and I was listening to the voicemail over speaker. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was can, will you tell that story? It was so good. And it's well, a story of transformation, which is why we're bringing it up. So I represented a, a man. And of course, these, these proceedings are all confidential. So I'm not going to refer to anybody's names in it. And he was, I represented him. He was, um, wanted to reunify with his daughter who had been removed from his care because of alcohol dependency. And he had, it was a many, many, many year addiction, something that's very difficult to, of course, overcome. But he remained a really a steadfast present in presence in his daughter's life. Um, he visited her regularly. He stayed really stayed connected. And he there's there's different points of decisions that are made in cases where we have to provide opportunity for parents to, I'm going to say this in the kindest way, get their act together. But you can't you can't wait too long because these young children are growing and they need to be in a safe and healthy home and be able to attach to parents or to caregivers. So we, we meaning our, our system, and this is all statutorily driven, provides a certain amount of time for you to reunify with your child. At some point, you have to make a decision that this child, this parent is not going to be able to remedy the various issues that cause the court to get involved. And they moved to adoption processes. And so that's where her case was at. It was moving towards adoption. So was the, the mom out of the picture? The mom was out of the picture, yes. So what was so, um, this case is unique and not unique. The details of it, I've represented many, many, many other clients who have very similar stories, very similar challenges. I think what made this unique is my, my client was so determined to stay sober for his child, to really show up and be present in her, in, uh, her life, 
despite the challenges of doing that. I mean, think about something as simple as he didn't have a car. So if you want to show up to visit your child to show that you are committed to continuing that relationship, but you don't have a car or access to reliable transportation, it makes it pretty challenging. So he really overcame a lot of obstacles to do that. Nonetheless, it was on the track for adoption. Trial counsel, his his attorney had made really excellent arguments, but the court said, nope, I think she needs to be freed for adoption. So that's when it came to me. And um, what was so moving about it is we ultimately prevailed. The court reversed the lower court's decision, meaning um, and ordered that a hearing be held to see whether or not it was in the best interest of this child to be reunified with her dad. But what was so moving about it is that we just don't have that many wins like this. And so he was just a, he was so... God, that phone call, he just, when I gave him the news, it was like, I have a chance. I have a chance to build a relationship with my daughter that didn't exist before this. And I spoke with trial counsel. She was just like, you need these wins, these moments of hope that the various, you know, that our system actually can successfully reunify families and that they will be stronger for it. So it just... I always say I win very few cases and that's okay because I, t- I represent the parents and our system. I don't want to say it's stacked against them because that's, I'm of course coming from my perspective, but we make sure the, the safety, the care, the health and well being of the children of children is of utmost importance. So I do not win many cases. So when I do win, they are incredibly powerful and moving. And these families have an opportunity to, you know, reconnect and really build a life together. Okay. So they, God, what did he say when you called him? Oh, he was just, he was really, um, he was just really teary. So think about like I had done as I do with all of my clients. I've been really frank. The chances were very low that we were going to actually be successful on appeal. So it was both just so exciting for myself. It was so exciting to talk with him. And also you have to think of it too. I would imagine that it was a vote of confidence in who he was. It was a vote and confidence by this system to say, we see you, we see the hard work that you've done. We see that you are capable of providing uh, a home for your child that is safe, that is secure. Um, So, you know, I could imagine that that also is, you know, in addition to being able to know that you're going to be reunified with your child, that all of these various people are all cheering you on. I mean, it's, I happen to be the person that got to deliver the good news, but it was many, many people who were advocating on his behalf that got him to that place, not to mention his own very hard work. Yeah. So he, to think that you're going to lose, literally lose your child. And then, so his transformation I think your answer would be that it was driven by the love of his daughter is what forced him to transform as a person. Yes, I think so. I think it was, um, yeah, that's what, when we were having this conversation earlier, you know, I was thinking, you can think of uh, optimism, you can think connection, you can think of um, people who have drive to be able to access their resources. And I think for this person, it was, it was really love of his child. That was his yeah. motivating. And he would we would talk about that often. Yeah. So. Well, f- thank you for doing that work. I oh. It's hard work emotionally, intellectually. I, I can, the layers of that work and the fact that 
you know, you had outcomes. And I would imagine even when the outcomes weren't reunited, you know, people, I would imagine there's value in knowing that they fought. Yes. Um, Yes. It's a checks and balance system. So I'm often asked, how do you do the work that you do? And, And that is a layered response, but it is, we have a system that exists to, there's, it's a checks and balance system. Also, I think as a parent, it's, you know, for many of my clients, they need to know they did everything they could to really, uh, I want to say fight for their child or to pursue um, the outcomes that they want for their family. You know, we, we have this question that we talk about on these mini episodes, like we zoom out a little and say, what does society say? And so, it, you know, when I think about, we went really specific in these examples because we have the benefit of you living and doing this exact work. But I, I feel like maybe part of the disservice, especially when you think about it next to some of the systemic realities, is that I think society often brands and packages, even like advertising and marketing as radical transformation is something that is uh, that is much more easier, accessible, <laughs> and pretty mm-hmm. than what it actually entails. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Yes. It's like the weight loss ads. It's the you know all of the before and after, and next to no time spent in the truth of the middle, which is the middle is where the transformation happens. And I think we jump over that. Hopefully, we don't in this podcast, and that's mm-hmm. why it has some value. But I think when I was thinking about that question, well, wh- well, what does society say about our potential to transform in big ways? And I thought, like, well, it's false advertising is what mm. our society says about it, I think. Mm-hmm. What I do you th- think? I think that we like a good story. We love a hero's journey. We like a transformation that's quick. Um, I, I think because it gives us hope that we could achieve those things. But um, it is... I I like your word, false advertising, because true transformation does take time. I mean, if we're talking about radical change, that's radical change. It takes time. It takes attention, hard work. Um, There's not a real quick fix that I see. Yeah. So what would your advice be to, my guess is every single person who's listening to this, if they're still listening, has something they want to change. And it may be small. It may be huge. Mm -hmm. It it may be their own dependence, addiction, relationship. You know, it may be something massive. So what do you, what would you say? What would I say? I'm thinking, I guess what I would say is you have to start by noticing and knowing where it is that you want to go. And that was really clear from Yusuf's story, too. When he uh, went to prison, he had that moment of everything, you know, everything he had stripped from him. And there was a clarity in that moment of where he was going. What was the change he wanted to see? So I think getting really clear on where you want to go is important with a with a very realistic or practical look at it. And then it's a matter of you know, got it. That's, it's, I guess I would say it's just a matter of then mapping out how will you get to that place? What are the small steps? What are the large steps? And recruiting support. I think that's everything you said is just so good and so spot on. And 
maybe the simplest thing is often overlooked, right? About getting really clear and specific on the vision, you know, your dream mm-hmm. for your for your future and what it could be and what you know with specificity because you you certainly you you need a roadmap and you need a a, a place to step towards and walk towards and um yeah so getting really clear on that mm-hmm. and and what it would feel like to be that version of yourself yeah okay uh, well this I conversation like some good yeah Sorry, go ahead no okay. i was gonna say this conversation took a slightly different direction but um you know i just i never get tired of thinking about the kind of the human condition and our great capacity for resilience and for change. And I also think that this podcast, Use of Story, and I'm just, as I'm thinking about the various clients that I've represented over the years, that there are many people who do make that change, um, which is a reason why we continue to believe in it. So like your point about that hopelessness, I think we can still retain hope because we have people like Yusuf who share their stories or like my client who really worked very hard to get on the other side of an incredibly challenging adversity. So, yeah, I've been recording for season five in the new year and have, have had a lot of interviews with women recently for whatever reason. And this shedding of past versions of themselves and kind of mm. who they are as I'm talking to them, you know, even as of last week, and then who they were five, 10 years ago. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable people's ability to transform. Yes, truly. But it takes, you know, it, it takes work and it takes all of the, the things you really beautifully laid out. So if anybody listening is thinking of making a change, big or small, in your life, I hope you have found words of comfort or words of inspiration, and I hope you'll listen to Yusuf's story. Yes. Or And I think your point about um, you know the work of others advocating and seeing others' potential. So maybe if it's not you turning to somebody else who wants to make a change and, and sort of being their champion mm-hmm. and... Uh, Letting them know you you see and believe in their potential, I think, is another great action or takeaway. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, we did it. And we'll be back with one more episode to end out the 2022. All the wiser, a little wiser. A little. Year. Awesome. Great. Okay. okay. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. I liked it. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.